Hi, everyone, and welcome to Wholesale Change, webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we offer thought leadership for wholesale change agents like you. Because if you're on this show, you're probably a wholesale change agent, too. My name is Ian Heller. I'll be your co-host today, along with my business partner. He uses Excel the way Captain America uses his shield. Jonathan Bine, PhD. Jonathan, how are you today? Ian, a pleasure as always. Thank you for the flattery, but you are the smartest guy in this room. <laughs> uh, we're not even in the same room, buddy. And that's not true anyway. But hey, thank you for the compliment. It's very nice to see you. We have a great discussion today. Are you excited for it? Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. A, a marketplace that doesn't take online orders. I mean, imagine. Yeah. I, I mean, when we were prepping for this, I said, it's like saying I have an airplane. It doesn't have wings and yet it flies. Great. Yeah. This is an impressive business. It's really a cool business. Ryan's a great guy. We're looking forward to uh, talking to him before we get to that though. We got to get to some business. First, we want to tell you about a product that we've introduced called customer experience RX. Smart distributors know that increasing customer loyalty leads to growth in both revenue and profitability. Furthermore, increasing loyalty depends on being able to measure customer satisfaction and improve the customer experience. Our customer experience RX system provides a new and exciting way to measure overall customer satisfaction, but more importantly, to understand the drivers of customer satisfaction and customer experience. If you are using Net Promoter Score, or are looking for a way to systematically improve customer satisfaction and customer experience, reach out to DSG. I suggest to reach out to Jonathan. That's jbein, J-B-E-I-N, at distributionstrategy.com. We also want to thank Infor for sponsoring yet another program with Distribution Strategy Group. Infor is a global leader in business cloud software specialized by industry. They develop complete solutions for their focus industries, including distribution, industrial manufacturing, food and beverage, retail, and more. Infor's mission-critical enterprise applications and services are designed to deliver sustainable operational advantages with security and faster time to value. Their modern ERP and WMS solutions have distribution industry functionality built in, and they make it easier for you to offer new value-added services, elevate the customer experience, and achieve operational excellence. They are obsessed with delivering successful business outcomes for customers and are continually innovating to quickly solve emerging business and industry challenges. Over 65,000 organizations in more than 175 countries, from Fortune 500 enterprises to SMBs, small and mid-sized businesses, rely on Infor's 17,000 employees and their deep industry expertise to help overcome market disruptions and achieve their business goals. Visit www.infor.com slash distribution to learn more. That's infor.com slash distribution to learn more. Thank you, Infor, for supporting this program. And we also have Resolve. Thank you, Resolve, for supporting this content as well. Do you spend weeks trying to figure out how much credit to give a customer? Do your dealers think net 30 means net 45? Seems like the whole world thinks that sometimes, Jonathan. That's do you? I know, I know. I'm throwing that in there, but it's true. Do you want to stay competitive and grow your sales? There's a solution to all of these problems. That's Resolve. Resolve's help, Resolve helps distributors grow their sales while getting paid faster, saving time, and saving money. Resolve is the B2B spin-out of a firm. And they're the modern solution that helps distributors like you get paid and manage net terms. Resolve's platform manages everything from fast and accurate credit checks, credit decisioning, payment processing, and cash advances. 
Think of Resolve as providing net terms as a service. Fun fact, many distributors looking for a factoring alternative partner with Resolve. Resolve is known for being the trusted go-to factoring alternative with many more benefits that can grow your sales. With five-star ratings, competitive rates, and additional features like payment processing, payment chasing, and automated ERP reconciliation, Resolve works with leading wholesalers and distributors across the country. Getting started is easy. Head to resolvepay.com, that's resolvepay.com, or email hi, H-I, hi, at resolvepay.com. Thank you, Resolve. And actually, today's guest is a Resolve customer. Now we'll bring in our guest. The reason we're having this show, after all, uh, Ryan Luce, he's the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer and Partner at Con Equip, which is Construction Equipment Parts. Ryan, hello, and welcome to the show. How are you today, my friend? I'm great. Thank you for having me. We're delighted. Thank you for making time for us. So uh, why don't you give us a little bit about your background uh, before we jump into ConEquip's fascinating business model? Sure. Um, so started my career in accounting, uh, did the whole public accounting route with uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers for a number of years, uh, then went into banking. Um, and then after that, I kind of decided I was tired of working for someone else. So I started my own accounting firm. Uh, business consulting, bookkeeping, taxes, all that kind of stuff. So I uh, had my firm for a number of years. And then uh, the founders of Conequip Parts uh, came to me for some business advice and ended up loving working with those guys. And they convinced me to sell my practice and come work with them. Well, that was a big decision for you, but it paid off because that was back in 2012, right? Yes, it's been a good 10 years we've been working together. Um, you could just tell... I've looked at a lot of different businesses over the years doing consulting, and uh, they had something that was very unusual. Um, and I looked at it as, as they had a, a local company that had the ability or the potential to go national. Um, and that really piqued my interest because you don't get to do that too often in life. No, it's exciting. And so how big was ConEquip when you joined them and how big are they now? Sure. So when I joined ConEquip, uh, gross sales were a little over two and a half million. Uh, and then last year we just cleared over 81 million in gross. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. That's really exciting. $81 million. And it says here you have about 115 employees. Is that right? Yeah, we've, we're at 115 now and we'll add probably at least another 20 employees this year. Okay, good. So we want to dig in now and stop sharing the slides so we can, uh, we can not have a distraction here. And by the way, we'd invite our audience to send in questions. There's a Q&A button at the bottom of the screen. We'll be happy to pass them along to Ryan. So Ryan, um, the thing that's really different about your marketplace and the thing that caught our attention is that you don't take any online orders and yet you're a marketplace, right? I mean, you have many suppliers and a huge customer pool and uh, half a million parts or whatever. And Yet you don't take any online orders. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, you know, we have everything. We've got the website. We've got, uh, you know, marketing through Google and social media and everything that you're, you need to be doing to have a web presence so people can find you. And, and we do a really good job at it, I think. Yeah. Um, but when we started the business, we realized that at least in construction equipment, um, one, the parts are expensive. Uh, but there's all this research you have to do on the background on being in a parts book or looking at a diagram or talking to the customer, walking them through what it might be, because there's so many different things um, that an online model didn't necessarily work for the customer connection that we needed to find the right thing for them. 
So walk me through a typical transaction then, because the if you have to do research, and we'll get into the the sure. background capabilities in a minute, but you know what does a typical transaction look like that requires this in-person, hands-on work? Yeah, so a customer will call in, they'll hit with a sales floor, one of our reps will pick up the phone, um, and then they'll start going through our process with them, trying to understand what the customer's looking for. The customer may or may not have a part number. Um, even if they do have a part number, they will get in then their uh, OEM-specific books, so like a Caterpillar, a Deer, a Komatsu, whatever it might be. And then we'll verify that the part that they're talking about and the part number they gave us or that we have to look up is the actual part that they need. Uh, so we don't, we don't diagnose, but we have to understand what they're looking for on the machine because we're going to be shipping it to them. And these parts can weigh anywhere from five pounds to 2,500 pounds. So we want to make sure we get it right before right. we put it on a truck and send it out to them. Um, so we'll, you know, average phone call, we'll spend five to 10 minutes on the phone with the customer, um, get them what they're looking for. And, uh, hopefully close the sale and move on. So it seems like a huge part of this business, tell me if this is correct, and perhaps the more profitable part for you is this aftermarket, the parts, right? Yes. Um, so, I mean, we sell aftermarket, we sell used, we sell reconditioned. Uh, that's one of the interesting thing about the construction equipment world is um, there's all these different conditions that a part can come in. Mm -hmm. uh, so we will give the customer as many options as we can Versus if they go to a dealer, they're only going to get the brand new dealer option where we can offer them an aftermarket or reconditioned or even a used. Uh, but yeah, most of the business is going to be aftermarket. Um, construction equipment's very similar to becoming more similar to like the audio industry where you'd walk into a Napa and get an aftermarket part. Well, we're doing the same thing in the construction equipment side now. Okay. And you sell only parts. You don't sell, sell the, the original equipment, right? Correct. It is just parts. And uh, when someone calls, they don't necessarily know what the options are, right? So they're calling you because they get more options, maybe better pricing. I don't know, but but they they feel like when they call you, they've got more options than going to the local dealer and just buying an OEM part. Yeah, they may not even know that there's other options besides the local dealer, um, but that's our job is to give them as many options as possible so they can make the best decision for that piece of equipment. Because um, it might be a frontline piece of equipment moving dirt every day, and they want the aftermarket, the brand new part, or it might be something that only gets used a couple times a month, and they don't want to make the investment as a of a brand new part. They want a used part. Um, so giving them the options there is, is really important. Uh, the customer doesn't necessarily know that when they're calling us that we have these options available, but it's it's part of our process to make sure we're we're offering the best service to our customer, getting them what we think they might be looking for. And how do you manage the payment? So 80% of our payments are credit card, cash, or wire up front before we ship. And then the other 20% uh, is now through Resolve Pay with uh, okay. financing and, and net terms. Okay, so, the, so they've, they've become your credit terms solution. Yeah, actually, we never offered credit terms until two years ago until we found Resolve Pay and they came into the picture. Everything was payment up front before anything ships. So they've, they've been a really big help getting us uh, into larger companies that are used to dealing with net terms. Got it. Right. So it's expanded your market quite a bit, I bet. Yep. yep. So we have a question from the audience. Um, you can answer as much of this as you want without disclosing okay. anything competitive. But 
what are your solutions for content management, you know, like information about the product and how do you prepare it and maintain it? Sure. So we ended up creating an in-house database uh, through our IT team. We've got programmers on staff. Uh, something that we do a little bit differently is all of our marketing from our AdWords to social media to IT is all done in-house. We don't have any outside services. Hmm. We decided that it's better for us to learn it um, and hire the professionals and bring them in here so that they're working for us full-time versus an outside service that you might only get so many hours per week or whatever it might be. Um, so we had to develop software for 500,000 plus parts to keep the descriptions, uh, some of the things we have pictures available for, weight, you know, whatever category it means. Um, because we weren't a typical stocking agent, um, we don't carry any inventory at all. Wow. So we had to create a, a system that would allow it to look like we had all these inventories um, available to us uh, for the salespeople so that we can we can order the part and drop ship. And how many suppliers do you buy from? I mean, I'm sure there's a core set and there's a bigger set, right? Yeah, the core set's going to be about 100 different suppliers. Um, but in any given year, we'll buy from three to 400 suppliers total. And, and how many parts and customers, if you can reveal it? Sure. Um, customers, we probably have close to 250,000 customers in the database at this point. Wow. Um, parts, um, it's hard to say because a single invoice, there could be multiple parts on it. Sure. Um, but, you know, at, at any given day, we probably have... 150 different freight shipments moving and and two or 300 UPS parcels moving every day. Wow. So it adds up. So it's a, it's a really diverse set of SKUs that you're managing. Yes. Yep. I'm, I'm imagining that there are cases where part is needed quickly. Mm -hmm. How do your suppliers, how do your makes support you in that scenario? Sure. So what, the other part of the business that we had to develop is because we don't warehouse or store anything on site, is we had to understand how freight and how parcel works. Um, so 90% of our shipments are on our own freight and parcel accounts. Mm -hmm. So we manage the tracking process to make sure that everything is on pace and, and reaching the customer appropriately. Um, so we had to build an in-house system as well too to manage all the freight shipments, all the parcel shipments, uh, but the customer has the option of next day air. Um, if it's Alaska, I mean, we put things on barges or we put things on planes and get it to them within 24 hours. It all depends on what the customer needs. And of course, you know, what are they willing to pay for to get the part to them? Yeah, it's because I'm imagining that a lot of a lot, number of these scenarios are going to be a time is money, downtime is money, downtime is opportunity cost type of scenario, right? Right. Yeah, because if the machine's not running and digging dirt and moving dirt, then you, you're not Building anything through on a project, or you got a project deadline, you got to got to hit it. You need the machine back up and moving. Um, so there's a lot of that, and then there's also a lot of the maintenance that has to be done. Maintenance has to take place in the machines because uh, a good portion of the parts on machines have wear and tear and need to be replaced all the time as well too. What is the alternative for customers wanting these parts these today? How how would I get this otherwise? Really, the only there's a there's. You know, in the marketplace, there's um, smaller value parts that you can buy on Amazon or eBay. But again, you're looking at the same shipping time. Um, the biggest alternative is is having to go to the dealer. Um, but that's always going to be more expensive. And that's hoping that they have it in stock. 
because um, a lot of dealers, especially through the COVID pandemic, didn't have anything in stock. Uh, and that's where we really shown as well, too, because we knew if this supplier didn't have it, we knew the four or five other suppliers to call who did exactly the same thing. So we were able to make sure the customers were getting their parts, even though the dealer was out of stock. How do you ensure that your suppliers are meeting your or their commitments to you as to sure. when they ship the product? Um, so we created a, a supplier standard. One of our goals five years ago was to become all of our suppliers' number one customer to put us in a position to work very closely with their shipping department and their their sales and their their product integration. Um, so just by that standpoint alone, we wanted to make sure that they were treating us uh, in a certain way to make sure our product was out the door at a priority versus anyone else's product. Wow, right. I, that's really interesting. So you just have developed buying leverage from them so that you're really important to the ones that you buy, that, that you focus most of your purchasing on. Yeah, so like our, our top 25 suppliers, we, if we're not their number one customer, we're in their top two or three. Got it. And that, that was our one of our strategic goals was to make sure that we were doing everything we could to, to be as important to our suppliers as possible. You've got an impressive list of suppliers. Uh, I'm sure that creates great opportunity for you just in terms of the whole range of, of product assortment. Yes. Um, and it, it's, I mean, you can, for we're talking about heavy equipment, right? So bulldozers, backhoes, excavators, wheel loaders, um, there's so many different parts on them. And then you you even cross brands like uh, in our industry, they're, you're either a specific, okay, we only carry deer parts or cat or Komatsu. Well, we also brought that together because of our suppliers. So we can offer the customer any any make or model that they have in their fleet or inventory, where if you've got a, a cat excavator and a Komatsu wheel loader uh, as a customer, you've got to go to two different uh, dealers to get those parts. Mm. So we've kind of simplified that for them, but it's it's created this availability uh, across the market. And then even to the point where one of our suppliers may not have an entire order. Well, we know the other two or three suppliers where we can finish that order with, where that customer, if they go to the dealer, can't get the entire order that they need, but we can fulfill it for them because we're going to four or five different places and shipping out of four or five different places and it, making sure it all lands to the customer uh, timely. So we have another question. It says, uh, if you, if you, you know, since you're relying on the supplier's stock, do you have their warehouse availability on hand? And if so, do you share it with, on your website or is it just something your people use? Yeah, we do not put it on the website, but uh, for our top 25 or 30 suppliers, we do have direct API access into their inventory. Um, and that we bring that in-house into our you know, internal software. And that goes back to when we decided to try to become their number one customer, there were certain things we were going to need access to and, and build a relationship with them so that we could sell through their product better as well, too. And having direct access, uh, electronic communication with their inventory was part of that process. And then do you go ahead and reserve the inventory at the supplier's warehouse when you when you get the order? Yes. Yep. Oh, that's fascinating. Now, now, talk to me about the kinds of customer-facing roles you have, because in our prep, you I mean, some roles are more technical than others, right? You've got some that are more customer service or sales and others that are more, that are deeper technically. Yeah. So, I mean, frontline is going to be sales, uh, but they have to have a knowledge of, of one, how to sell 
and then understanding parts books and machines a little bit. Uh, and then we have support for the sales department in people who have expert knowledge in mechanics and machines um, so that if it gets really deep, they can, they can just uh, go to this person and ask the deeper questions or they'll get on the phone with the customer trying to understand the mechanics of it. Um, so that, that's kind of like everything before the sale. And then after the sale, we have a whole customer service focused team um, because our approach was we wanted to become kind of more like Amazon on, hey, when you order, you get a tracking number texted to you. If there's an issue, you get a notification. Um, so we built our systems and our customer service team around making sure the customer was fully updated of where their product was, when it would be to them, if there's an issue, um, which in our industry hadn't been done before, especially because most of this is going freight. It's going uh, Interesting. LTL or full flatbed. So there, there weren't updates that were going out, um, but we've been able to communicate with the freight companies and making sure we're getting the tracking and, and updating customers on where product is at. Has that come a long way in 10 years? Just from the freight side, yes. When we right. first started it, the freight companies couldn't provide that information to us at all. Uh, and then in the last four or five years, some of the major carriers have done a great job advancing their technology to putting GPS on trucks, and we, we can see where everything is at any point. So it's more like a UPS order now? It, it really is. Yeah, whether it's on a flatbed or, or in a semi-trailer, wherever it is, uh, it, it is a lot more like UPS. You mentioned shipping to Alaska. You're in New York. That would clearly be the other other coast. What is your coverage national? Yeah, so we'll sell through. Uh, primary market is the U.S. We sell through to Canada. Uh, we ship containers into Latin America, into Africa, and the Middle East. Um, but I would say 90% of our market is, is here in America. Okay. And I'm curious, um, when you market this, uh, we noticed a number of interesting, perhaps even zany videos on your website. <laughs> uh, curious. <laughs> sorry. What, what, what's, what's the thinking behind that? We, we love it, by the way. Sure. Um, we didn't want to be a typical stuffy business. That's not how we are. And myself and my two partners, Alan, Ben, uh, we're just regular guys who like to have fun. And the construction industry is still very much uh, like that hardworking people who um, like to play hard as well, too. So our marketing just reflects our customer base and who we are, which is really what we try to do in the company in general is I don't want to put something out there that reflects um, something that doesn't represent who we who we really are. And I, I think the customers really appreciate that more through some of the funny videos we do and, and all that stuff. We, we've taken it to more, if we can make people laugh, uh, it helps us build a relationship with them. We try to not be serious as well. <laughs> Life is really short, so we want to enjoy what we're doing. I, I love how Jonathan said that. We try not to be serious. <laughs> um, so let's i was trying to imitate how ian heller would have said that um so let's keep talking about how you go to market because again this this really fits into the category of a very interesting business model sure uh, we have a question from from the audience what role do your field sales reps have do they do they meet face-to-face -face with customer on-prem uh no we actually do not have well we're correct myself we just started with field reps. Uh, the entire business model is basically an inside sales model where we're not meeting face-to-face -face with any customer. Everything's done over the phone or text message. Um, so we're, we're basically 
selling and marketing, um, we, we have call center, two call centers where everything is filtered through and we have sales floors that, that operate just like any other call center would. Okay, so let's keep going with that because we've seen other models that are single location, inside sales. Before the internet got big, did you have a catalog? I'm curious. No, no. We never had because a catalog. We've never done e-commerce. I mean, we list a, a lot of product, product on our website, uh, but you cannot buy it. There's no pricing. Everything is listed as call us for availability. Um, really trying to direct everything back to a conversation with the customer. I, I love this because I'll hand over to you in a second, Jonathan, but you're doing everything that's you're not supposed to make be able to make work and you're $81 million and growing 30% a year. I mean, it's phenomenal. And it reminds me of that old saying that people who are explaining why something can't be done are often interrupted by those doing it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's great. Sorry, Jonathan, go ahead. Well, then we have another question from the audience follow on. So with, with your inside reps, are they now in the COVID post COVID world using zoom or teams to interact with customers or still by phone? Everything is, is phone or text message. Now um, we never, I mean, internally as a company, we use zoom and that kind of stuff to have our internal meetings, but um, no, very rarely are we ever uh, in a video conference or anything like that with the customer because these, these customers typically the machine is down. They need a part, they need to get it ordered. And then they have other things that they need to move on to in their day. So we're trying to keep these conversations to five to seven minutes to identify what they need, get the sale done, close it, take a credit card, and then get it into our purchasing department. Um, so because a lot of these people are, are owner operators as well. So they got to order the part and then they got to get back on the machine and continue digging. So they don't have that kind of time. Um, and I think it just goes back to some of how the construction industry works is there's just so much work to do that the shorter the transaction, the better for them. Yeah, so someone wants to know if there's a competitor successfully doing this, but I'm going to rephrase this question and say, or just successfully doing this via e-commerce. I'm, I'm going to rephrase the question. Do you plan to introduce e-commerce at any point? We are working on it, but it is okay. strategic. Right. Uh, so we, we there's certain price points that we know a customer wants to talk to someone on the phone because they're spending thousands of dollars on, on a part. Uh, but there are other more consumables, for instance, filters or seals that are more of a commodity. So we, we are looking at putting more of the commodity based into an e-commerce, but the things that require a discussion will still stay in the same model. And what percentage of the time is there a technical discussion where it, it can't just be in a regular sales person that you really need to have a, cause, cause you've got these different roles, right? right? So right. what percentage yeah. of the time is that more technical person involved? I would say probably five to 10% of the time on any given transaction. Uh, and most of the time it's, Hey, there's only one of these parts left in the world. It will fit three different machines. Do we think it will fit this customer's machine? Wow. Wow. And so sometimes you probably have to go back to the supplier to get information. Yeah, we have conversations all the time with suppliers on trying to understand their knowledge of, of how it works or what machine it'll fit on. Um, for sure, they're they're involved in the technical aspect as well. This strikes me as a kind of business where the people who work there probably kind of fall in love with it. Yeah, I think they enjoy interacting with the customers. 
Um, it is a very transaction heavy business. So I know it, it, it's a grind, um, but you know, as a company, we do a lot of, a, a lot of fun things and um, our staff is, is generally a little bit younger. So uh, we stock monster and Red Bull and, you know, every, <laughs> everything that the generation that's 20 years behind me um, really likes. Uh, so we, we do our best to keep up with uh, just the morale and the in-house culture of, of, moving the company forward too. And, and I have to say, people really like to be a part of something that's growing yeah, because um, there's, there's opportunities for promotion and advancement. Um, and I think that's a big part of the culture as well, too. Do, do you mostly promote from within? For the most part? Yes. Uh, yeah. Some strategic positions will go outside. Um, but if we can mentor and grow a person over a couple of years, we'd much rather spend the time doing that because of the uniqueness of our business and how we operate. It's very hard for someone from the outside to understand what we're doing. Ian, are you thinking of applying? Well, I was just wondering if you guys needed a couple of, uh, of uh, elderly podcast hosts. We, we could add that into our media portfolio. portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's, that's really cool. Now you say you, you, uh, you have two call centers. Where, where are they located? Yeah, so both call centers are outside of uh, Buffalo, New York. We've got one up on Lake Ontario and then one about an hour south of that. Is that for redundancy or employee, look, you know, Jason's at employee homes or what? Yeah, it's just, uh, it's commute time. Here in Western New York, if you have to drive more than 20 minutes in a commute, you're not going to drive it. It's just the, the way it is because everything yeah. is close. We're a smaller town. So it's more just making sure we could reach the right people and, and staff accordingly in both locations. Do you know this company, TVH? I've heard of them. I'd like to actually share, because I want to go back to that question about other online players in the space. Mm -hmm. um, so these guys have done something that looks a little bit more like a marketplace. They're, they're, they're a little more in the um, HD space, I think. Okay. Um, so just... Thought it might be interesting for you to know about. Um, I think they're based in in Holland, uh, but they've got a significant presence here in this country. Mm -hmm. And I think it is a it is a multiple seller model. I, I confess to not understand the entirety of this, um, but I yeah, thought it would be interesting. And I'll be honest with you, we buy from them. Do you? Okay. Yep. Is TVH a construction brand? No, it's. It's a global one-stop shop for parts and accessories for material handling, industrial construction, and agricultural equipment. So Interesting. Yeah. So they don't look very fun. They're def they're, yeah, they're definitely not fun. And their zany videos would be in a different language. So <laughs> if they even have them. Yeah. How do you say zany in Dutch? Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's yeah, a good question. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just right. saying there, there's there's a lot of companies who have that web presence who are offering that product online. Um, but through our research, we found that there's a price point where the customer wants to talk to someone. Um, right. that, that's the service that we're trying to offer on top of being, of having, uh, hopefully potentially some e-commerce as well. Well, I, I mean, honestly, having worked in the construction industry before, um, it's hard on a phone to sort through these parts and find something. It's just not the same as sitting at a desk. It's really easy to make a phone call, right? And you're mobile, you're, you're in the field, you're standing by a broken down, you know, uh, Caterpillar tractor or whatever, whatever the brand is, and you need something, you know, bulldozer, uh, 
you're, it's just easier to make a phone call. Yeah. And it, nowadays with, I mean, mobile phone, it's make a phone call and text me a picture of what you're talking about. Right. And, right. and then we can get right in the parts book and confirm what exactly what you need. Right. So this is a great question from uh, someone who's a listener. How do you handle educating reps? It seems like a younger generation would not be coming in with knowledge of construction equipment. That's a great question. So our philosophy from the beginning is we do not hire anyone who understands parts or construction equipment. We mm -hmm. hire people who are trained in sales. And then they go through a six-week in-house course to understand the parts side of the business and how to purchase and search and find what the customer's looking for. Boy, that's interesting. That, that's a surprise. How do you find people who are trained in sales? We pull a lot from the car industry. Hmm. And uh, Western New York here had a lot of collection agencies who are no longer collecting due to all the COVID restrictions. So uh, we've, we've done a great job bringing in a lot of car sales and collectors. No kidding. Wow. And they're good at selling construction equipment parts. Yeah. Again, it's, it's the quick transaction and, yeah. and getting to know a customer, building a quick rapport, um, and then, you know, moving on to the next transaction. Now, do you have a lot of customers who call in seeking to speak with someone in particular because they've gotten to trust them? Yeah. And, and that's the way that we like it as well. We want our reps to build relationships with these customers, uh, to get to know them. Uh, we do a lot on the back end through personal emails with with customers and reps. So they're trying to build a relationship because, not, again, none of it's face to face. Right. So we have to use all the tools that we have available to us, whether it's sending that customer a, a video about yourself or whatever it might be. Uh, we work really hard at trying to build a relationship where you, you never actually physically get to meet the person. I, I, I love that. I mean, it's really, that's another thing is most call centers want to ensure that there is no relationship with a specific rep and a customer because they want to, they want their, they're looking for efficiency. So they want the call to go to the next available person. And right. you're really building a model that's more in line with what customers want, which is, I want to call someone that I've developed a relationship and that I trust and, right. you know, that I know, Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, if we send out a wrong part, which happens or something that fails on a machine, we want that customer to be able to know I can call this person to deal with this issue and not get put on hold um, waiting for someone in returns. And, and, you know, another part of our business, just to tell you how customer oriented we are, is we do not have a call in system where you press one for sales or two for returns. We have live receptionists that answer every single incoming phone call greet the customer and then direct them to where they need to go. Wow. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I know I hate that. You know, I feel like every time I call an airline there, the whole system is designed to prevent me from talking to anyone. Yeah. And that's the whole design from the beginning was if we can't be face to face with a customer, how do we build a relationship? Um, so we're trying everything we can on the, on the other end of it with personal interaction. Wow. You mentioned an interesting thing about the profile you look for in the in the wrap. We've done a lot of work related to a proactive inside sales or outbound telesales, whatever you want to call it, model. And I think like you, we tend to lean towards hire the best sales athlete. Mm -hmm. And then they get the expertise on the job. Would that be a fair assessment of, of your approach that you're hiring the, the best salesperson? Yes. I mean, because the, the primary function is selling. And in the construction industry, I think we forget that a lot. 
that it's it's relationship and selling and then the parts knowledge we can find the experts to back that up um but if you if you can't sell what's the point because you, you're not completing the primary function of the job 30 yeah. percent compound annualized growth would show that would prove that to be a good decision mm -hmm. and that's where our industry it has been a little bit older on you typically have a parts counter guy a guy behind the register or counter who knows parts but has never been trained in a professional sales manner mm -hmm. or, or techniques or classes and we just went the opposite again and said i want sales professionals we can teach them the, the part or mechanical portion of it and and how do you go get new accounts uh our marketing team is incredible um we again we don't have anyone on the road at this point everything is driven through uh seo or paid marketing online. Again, that's where like, you have to have this balance of the sales and the call center to back up the transaction, but everything is front-loaded in technology and web presence and videos and YouTube and Facebook and all the social media aspects of it. Um, so we are producing um, at least uh, 200 new customers per day coming into the company. All right, so now I have a question for Jonathan. Let's do it, bud. So, so how many distributors have you worked with over the last 13 or 14 years? Um, over 100. Okay. How many, in, how many of those have you heard the CFO say, our marketing team is incredible? <laughs> One hand with a couple of fingers missing? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, it's, it's so often that marketing and the CFO are in opposition because marketing doesn't have the proper attribution um, or they're just trying to get as much money as possible rather than looking at the, the demonstrated return. Um, yeah. And that's from the beginning. Um, my business partner, Al, he handles the marketing and sales of the company. He and I work closely to understand what's the cost per lead. What does this generate in revenue on an average invoice? Um, you know, what's the close percentage on estimates generated by a certain lead source. So we really work hand in hand to make sure we understand what does it do to the bottom line? If we're going to spend another hundred dollars on X in marketing, it has to produce Y for the company. Um, and we'll test it. And if it doesn't, then we cut it off and move on to, to a new marketing idea. Wow. Do you use uh, like customer satisfaction or NPS or anything to understand how you're doing with customers? We do. We have for six or seven years. Every customer that comes through gets texted or emailed a, a, an NPS score uh, for a survey to fill out. Um, and then it also comes down to the individual sales rep because each of them gets graded as well on their performance with the customer too. Fantastic. And it's interesting that you do so much of your own programming. Is, are you going to continue to do that? We are. We found a lot of success with it. And again, the, the way that we approach things is very different even than to uh, you know someone who stocks inventory even outside of our industry so um you have you have to understand how our business functions and what the goal is in order to understand the technology that we need built to support that got it got it well this has been a fantastic discussion uh jonathan do you have any more questions for ryan or ryan did you want to well jonathan first we've talked a lot about customer facing and we have talked a little bit about culture i'm, I'm curious are you doing anything systematic to <laughs> measure and grow your culture? Mm. For example, are you doing an ENPS or, or employee engagement survey of any kind? Yes, uh, we have really since the beginning, 
Um, we have a set of core values or six core values that every every staff member is measured against uh, in their annual review. Are you doing all six? Um, we go through every two or three years a right person, right seat evaluation with inside the company to make sure they're uh, understanding our culture and they're in the right place and functioning in their skill set. Um, it, it's part of our core. The first day coming in, uh, every new hire sits with the president of the company for two hours, explaining our history and explaining our culture. Um, so right from the beginning, you're getting attention from the highest executive we have to make sure you understand what the expectations are culture-wise in our company. Okay. I was asking for a friend, by the way. Okay. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. <clears throat> Anything we should have asked you that we didn't, Ryan? Man, I, we covered a, a lot of different stuff, um, yeah. which was great. And um, I love talking about our business and and sharing ideas and how we're we're operating and doing things. And um, I appreciate the questions on culture too, because that comes back to really the core of what we do, that we want to be the same on the outside with the customer sees as the same as we operate with our staff and how we handle things internally. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I always say you can't fake authenticity, which sounds kind of funny, no. but you, no. you really can't. And uh, it sounds like what you're, what you are to the customer is what you are internally. And I bet you, you retain a lot of employees and customers as a result. Yes. Yeah. And you can't produce the kind of YouTube videos that we produce without being authentic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's right. And what's your website again for people who want to go check you out? Yeah, it's conequip.com. Okay, conequip.com. That's great. So hold on just a second, Ryan, while I, while I wrap up here and ask the audience to hold on for just a second. We've got two upcoming events you might be interested in. We have a technology leader panels with representative from White Cup, Resolve, and Infor. That's on March 14th. The topic is technologies that grow sales and profitability. So these uh, technology leaders are going to specifically talk about how their technologies and how technology in general can help you grow sales and profits. And remember, the advantage of these technology leaders is that they have interacted with dozens or hundreds of distributors. So they see things that uh, you may not have seen. But on March 16th, uh, we have how great customer experiences build loyalty and profits. Um, this is a research piece in our best practices series, and that'll be brought to you by Customer Experience RX, which is our NPS tool. Jonathan's been great working with you again, my friend. We're having a good time, buddy. We are, and Ryan, thank you so much for making time for us. We really appreciate it. It was an absolute delight to talk to you and hear about your fantastic company. And, and I'm sure the audience learned a lot. I know that we sure did. Thank we're you guys for having for, we're, looking, we're looking forward to seeing the next chapter. Yeah, it, it's uh, hopefully continued growth and and uh, treating customers the right way. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we can tell. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very exciting. And uh, you guys have just done what customers want without listening to uh, bad advice from people who are supposed to be experts. So... Uh, well done. Thanks again. And to our audience, thank you so much for joining us today on Wholesale Change. We'll see you in the near future. Ryan, we hope you have a fantastic 2023. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. You bet. Bye now. Take care.